Welcome to Learn with Lowell Podcast. I'm your host, Lowell. Today we are joined with Oren Stambouli, a renowned director and producer known for his work in filmmaking and being a documentarian with such titles as Imperfect, TQM, and Uncharted Adventure, to name a few. In this episode, we'll be doing a deep dive into Uncharted Adventure. We'll be discussing everything from the art of choosing the perfect location to the day-to-day of being a director and the challenges that come with it. We'll also be delving into the technical aspects of filmmaking, how to set up the cameras, how to line them all up, the shots, how to how to get the right feel, previs, post-production, as well as give candid advice for people who want to get into this type of work. If you like this type of unedited, long-form content, please like and subscribe. Every bit helps. We're working to put out two to three new episodes every week and have cool things planned for when we reach 10,000 new subscribers. Thank you everyone for subscribing thus far. Let's stay curious and learn about Oren and filmmaking in this episode of the Learn With Lowell Show. So Steven Spielberg was talking about his early days as becoming a director. He was brought into one person's office and he was like a little scrub, a little scrub Steven Spielberg. And he was brought into a guy named um, uh, King, John King. And apparently he was a big dude back then. I don't, I don't know John King, but maybe he would. But uh, he was brought into his office and the guy was like, all right, hey, you got five minutes. I'm going to like give you some information. And so he had Steven Spielberg look at three photos and ask where the horizon, uh, horizon line was. And then said, when you can tell why they're in the high, medium, and low, uh, then you'll be good. But he, <laughs> Steven didn't answer why that was important. So could, could you, as a director... Explain why knowing where the horizon line in a picture matters. Like, why would John King think that would be like an important thing to focus on? I, to be honest, I have no idea. It's like, <laughs> for me, the way I see it and approach it, it's frame. It's the framing, mm-hmm. and what looks into the what looks good to me, and a good composition of the frame. And like for me, that's what I'm always trying to to achieve. And having like things make sense and having your eyes move from one side to the other, like either in advance, like with movement on camera or then on editing, like making sure that I, that I'm controlling where the eyes goes. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm not sure why he, he specifically did that. I have no idea. It's like, yeah, I, I don't even know I if know like adult Stephen knew. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was, yeah he didn't answer. I, like even I, Stephen. I, I, I had in in uh, in college one teacher that was like their test to get into their class. He just threw something at him, and if they catch it, they will let them in. If they didn't, they didn't. And it's like we like we ask why. He says because for him, a director needed to have the ability of like quick reactions and eye, and eye coordination, eye hand coordination. I have no idea why that's important, but for him it was important. So each person has like its own mm-hmm. weird way of looking at things and validate things. We'll have to ask Steven Spielberg someday. Yeah. What, uh, I don't know to the extent high and eye coordination has affected <laughs> your life, but you are in the field a lot. So it's probably somewhat important. Um, if you were a, a teacher or something like that, what would be some of the things that you look for to know if someone had the like the the talent because to some extent the the creative endeavor of directing and having something come to fruition like just an idea to a vision i imagine not like everyone could maybe do like a version of it but no one could like there's only a certain select group of people that actually have the talent the skills and the drive to really do it to the level that you do it so then how would you separate the people that are like maybe like top 10 percent, like really really gonna do well because they have all those things in, in combination versus people who i mean there's nothing wrong with them but like you know like the people who are yeah. Like, how would you differentiate? Like, how would you, like, source and figure out who's who? 
So I think it's resiliency, right? Because mm -hmm. when you want to do a movie or any project that is based, it's going to take you at least a year, at the very least. Sometimes it could take you three years. And for most people, for 99% of the people, of the population, it's not something that it's going to come up and somebody's going to give you, hey, here's $100 million so you can go and make a movie or to make a TV show or give you the, the opportunity to produce or direct a TV show. Mm -hmm. Usually you have to fight for it or look for it and come up with the idea, come up with the concept, find the script, then write the script or adjust the script. And it's a long process. And in that process, you are going to hear 99 no's for one yes. And if you don't have the resiliency and you don't have the passion for the subject that you're going to talk, basically at some point you're just going to give up. Which it's the same thing that I see now with a lot of people that are trying to get into YouTube or podcasting or whatever it is. Uh, do I believe that some people have more the, the, the natural ability to do it? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think no one, it's great at the beginning. And it's only the people that stay with it and stick with it no matter what, without caring how many people are watching or uh, how many waves they're creating with their product that are going to succeed. Mm -hmm. And you can take like, I'm going to go a little bit to YouTube, like Mr. Beast. If you see yeah. their, his first videos, they're terrible. They were really bad. And he will tell you that. But he was there and he saw it. And then from video, from video to video, he was trying to improve it and improve it and improve it and make it a little better. And for, I don't know how many years he had like 10 views. Yeah. I can guarantee you that 99% of the people will like, will give up after a month. I know people that have begun YouTube channels or podcasts or Instagram accounts that have a lot of massive like connections to people in the industry. So they begin with like a thousand views, but because that doesn't grow in the first like four weeks, they give up because they think that they're not good enough. Mm. The other thing is you really have to be passionate about the story you're telling, right? Because again, it's going to take a long time. And if you're not passionate about the story you're telling, at some point you're going to give up and you say, it's not worth it. It's better for me to go and like sell real estate, right? Or do whatever it is that is going to make you money right away. It's mm -hmm. interesting. That's a, that's a, I think like a common theme in many industries where it comes down to grit there. Um, and a lot of times it sounds like people kind of defeat themselves. It's not like the lack of money or any of these external things. It's just like, like you said, they don't feel like they're good enough, which is, you know, really sad because they, they probably have a great talent if they just got over that, that hump of not thinking then they could do it. Um, yeah, it's like that quote, the people who think they can and people who think they can't, like they, they're, they're both right. Uh, yeah. It just depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing, like, if you think about it, the other thing is like this overnight sensation concept where people think, oh, this guy became a celebrity from one day to the next. No, you haven't seen the 10 years of work that he put where no one was watching him. Yeah, so only he had one thing that made him blow up. But in order to get to that point and take the opportunity to that point and make it worth it, he had to go through 10 years of pain and learning the craft and getting better and going to workshops and watching other films and watching acting and talking to people and fighting and fighting and fighting and looking for it and looking for it until they finally made it. Mm -hmm. I think um, also it's definitely a degree of humility. You know, like I think 
some directors would look at Mr. Beast and be like, oh, I don't want to look to that for inspiration, but you're, you're clearly have looked at his stuff and, and like in a really critical way. But I think like sometimes people feel like they, their cup is full. So they're like, oh, I don't need to look at these things or if they like they point their nose at it or something. So I think being, being humble is probably another one of those things. There was a, I think an actor was saying that, uh, I wish I could remember the name, but they said that, um, you could get, you can do, you can get to a point where you can get lucky and get, be successful but you don't stay successful if you're an, if you're a jerk, <laughs> like people eventually just like, you know, slowly stop working with you, which, which I hope is the truth. But, uh, you know, at the same time, um, I'm later going to ask you like how, how often is there like difficult <laughs> personalities and stuff on sets and whatnot? And how do you deal with it? Cause people say the arts or the drama people are, are, you know, an intensely emotional bunch, but, um, which makes like kind of hurting them in a direction, probably quite either very fun for you or, um, <laughs> like a headache, but, Every director has like their own thing. Um, do uh, actually in the event, let's just jump into that. Uh, when I think Steven, not Steven Spielberg, uh, the Kubrick one, like for The Shining, yeah. like he was like yeah. mean to certain members of the cast and and nice to other members. It's like, well, yeah. do you think like that type of thing is? Do you think he could have done as well without doing that, or was it necessary for him to achieve his, his vision? And, and, and I guess that's more of an opinion piece, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. It's hard for me to tell how Kubrick, because of Kubrick, right? How he could yeah. have been better. Do I think his movies will have been exactly as good as they are if he wasn't mean? Yes, I do. Do I believe that you need to do that in order to achieve like greatness? No, I don't think so. But there's a lot of things that happening happens behind the scenes, and people don't realize what's happening, and sometimes. Actors or directors or producers of studios get stuck with some somebody that it's not right for the project. And I think like mm. usually that's when like when problems arise. But at the end of the day, I think it's like any other job. Like I can guarantee you that any job that you go, there's going to be people that you like, some people that you don't like, some clients that you like, some people that you don't like. And you just have to be professional mm-hmm. and do the best you can to have, create a good relationship and to achieve the best results right and sometimes you just have to suck it up and go until the end with dealing with people that you don't like or that you don't have a good relationship or you don't see eye to eye and it's normal but the one thing is i have experienced that when i'm like in a room with somebody that i respect and we have completely opposite opinions on something when we get to that middle point and we both take the time to say, okay, I know that he's saying something completely opposite of what I'm saying. And I hate everything he's saying, but if he's saying it, there's a reason, right? Because he's a smart Mm -hmm. person and has been in the industry. And when I get to that frame of mind that I can try to get to the middle ground and that person does the same and we can achieve it, then it exceeds both of, of our initial thoughts so when you can when you can compromise that it's like when, when you can compromise something that it's compromising right like when you're dealing with somebody that legitimately legit legitimately like how would you say it? Legit, legitimately yeah thank you it's coming from a from a good place and not from an ego place of like just like showing off you will usually get amazing stuff when you get to a middle ground and is that like um, in the setting of like giving an actor notes or that could, I sense, I imagine could happen anywhere. 
But uh, does that type of compromise understanding happen, like particularly useful in the note section of like, how do you tell an actor or someone you're working with, like, how do you want to get direction? To me, it's like, it's different because note sounds very, like when you're giving a note, so depending on the relationship that you have with the actor, and this is something that you have to establish way before you get to set, right? When you're in mm-hmm. set, you don't have time. So this is something that you have to create a relationship before you get into, into your set that that person trusts you. And like when you are telling him something, they're adjusting more than giving you notes. But if you're seeing that they're not getting the note, the best way is to have a conversation and try to get mm-hmm. to a point of like, what's the essence of the scene? instead of trying to force your vision into them, because when you force something, it's not going to happen, right? Or it's going yeah. to happen in a mediocre way. Again, unless you're Stanley Kubrick or Steven Spielberg or Tarantino or guys that are so established in this world. But again, I think those are rules for the 1%. Majority of people don't have that gravitas. And like when they're having a conversation with an actor, like just because you're one of those directors, you're going to listen. And actually, some of these directors, like, don't even give notes. It's like, what, uh, what's his name? Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Apparently, he's like, he's one take, that's it. And usually, he doesn't like to do three, four, five takes because he's expecting you to give your best at the first. Not everybody has that ability, right? No, not everybody commands that respect that they're going to come to set, like, well prepared because they know that they're going to have the power to just, like, walk to the next, next scene. Hmm. But if you establish a relationship with the actor and you have the conversation before you get to set, once you get to set, you can give those adjustments or notes or however you want to call it, and they will adjust. And when an actor makes those changes and everything gets better, like, that's golden, right? Like, when, when an actor... Because that's when you understand that they trust you and you're in a good place in the film, it's in a, in a going in the right direction. Yeah, it sounds like when you put in that extra time in the beginning to get to know them, you're kind of mm-hmm. learning the way that they want to be directed. You know, like you're you're understanding like, oh, they're this type of person, they're analytical or they're an emotional type person. Like there's a, because everyone has a different way of speaking how, if you, if you speak to everyone the same way, <laughs> I think, and you just like kind of like pay attention to it for a month, you'll realize like there's probably like, 10% of the people that like really like the way you speak, there's like 90% that keep looking at you like, why are you saying it that way? Because everyone has their different way. And that's, I mean, that's um, across America in, in a single town, even in a single family, like how many people with large families or small families, like mom, dad, kids, like everyone has a different way that they like being spoken to. And so it, it sounds like the, that, that pre-work you do is, is how you like, you kind of like a uh, source in to understand what they're looking for. Um, how do you, what does that look like though? Like the actual, it's how great, doing that? actually, it's a great, what you just said, it's exactly what it is because the first thing that I do when I actually begin to create the relationship in casting, hmm. when I'm casting a person, I'm already asking them questions to see their, how they work and how they see the character. And some of the castings that I do, I ask them to do very small adjustments just to see if they do the adjustment. And I also have a lot of conversations with them just to see how the flow of the creative flow goes. But once you get into table reads and once you get into like deep conversations, one of the first questions that I ask, it's like with their permission, because some people don't like to share how they internalize their things is which type 
are they method actors or are they like miser or whoever Stanislavski or whatever it is, right? And usually people from theater are a little bit like different from people from television or people from like YouTubers, for example, like they're crossing. So if you have that conversation from the beginning, as a director, I feel that I'm the one that has to adjust to the point that one of the things that changed my life as a director is like I did a workshop that was that's called Acting for Directors. And you go to this workshop and instead of you going and directing, you're going and acting and they treat you, the, the, the teacher or the, the person giving the, they treat you as an actor and they explain to you how's the, the right way to speak with an actor. Mm. And for me, that was life-changing because I understood their language, how they are communicated, how they like to be communicated and how they process information. And that's more effective than anything else that I have seen in my life, like any, any other method that I have seen. Like when you, be, you are able to see them eye to eye and, and be able to talk to them in a way that they understand exactly what, what they want, what yeah. you want. It, it sounds like if, um, even if you were like a Kubrick or a Quentin, a Quentin Tarantino and you could just tell people what to do and they listen to you, it doesn't sound like that'd be as much fun for you. I think it, just the impression I'm giving is like you like getting to know the, the actor and helping them achieve their best. Like that's a, that's a, a, a unique experience. Like I think. It sounds like we're, we haven't gotten into even in making the, the film itself yet, but that does seem like one of the things that probably has you coming back, like the that the technical difficulty of doing that, like everyone's kind of different versus like someone, uh, you know, like if you were like do, being an accountant and you were just like working with numbers all day, like that would probably be really boring and it doesn't like stimulate you, if that makes sense. It sounds like that, it sounds like that's one of the pillars that keeps you coming back to the, this type of creative work. For me, it is. Mm -hmm. There's different type of directors. There are some directors that are more visual that care more about marks and framing and hitting the marks and stuff like that. And that's also important. For me, the most important thing is the relationship with the actors and it's crafting that and getting into set because the way I direct, and this is not usually what, how most people do it, I like, because it's also the type of projects that I take on, it's I like the actors to come ready on set and like block that day and like have them move around and discover those movements as we are doing everything. Mm. When action films or stuff like that, you don't have that flexibility. And you have to hit some marks because that's how it is. And there's going to be a house exploding or a car or a chase or something. I actually was recently saw a movie about how they make the Godfather and they were talking about everything. And one of the things that, that Coppola, at, at, at least according to the movie, I don't know if this is true or not, but at least according to the series, Coppola was struggling a lot because he wanted to give flexibility to the actors, but the way they lighted everything was so dark that they just had to hit a certain mark and be there and like be still and move in that position. And it took them a while until he got into that whole concept, which made the film great but it doesn't work for everybody, right? Because some yeah. people want to give more flexibility to the actors. So that's also an important conversation that you need to have with your director of photography, which I, I usually try to have with all of them, which is let's light this scene in a way where they can move around as much as they want. And when we know that we want a scene that it's very like light oriented, then I know that I have those restrictions, but I know that in advance going into the frame, into the session and into the blocking. Mm -hmm. Is, how does that work when you're doing something in the field like a documentary? 
like uh one, one second, I have, there's a specific one uncharted adventure for example or when yeah. i think um i don't know if you were helping taku the outdoor chef life guy but he was on your instagram and i love that guy's youtube channel he's like one of my favorite people but oh, uh, really? you know him well I, I haven't talked to him i just like his content like uh it makes nice. me hungry sometimes before bed yeah. my wife and i will watch a video of something <laughs> we watch his stuff and we're like now we're hungry and this is a terrible time to be, to be hungry but I'm, I'm curious like how does how does that translate when you're out in the field somewhere because it i always it always feels organic like when there's a documentary scene or something like that going on but so then it sounds like maybe there's an element of like preparedness with the shots and stuff like that it's uh, there's a few things first again in this case, with your director of photography, you have to prepare even more and give them the style of visuals that they have. For Uncharted Adventure, we had a, a very specific way of doing things of when we had the host going into a place that we wanted him to feel lonely, we got wide shots to make him walk alone. Mm -hmm. And then we tried to avoid have the cameras too close to him and close up. And like when he got to a point where like people felt that you couldn't go deeper, then he got the GoPro. But once you establish that you're on a GoPro, you leave the GoPro, and now you go with a close-up with the cameras. Hmm. And people think that it's, you, you forget that the cameras are there, right? Because the biggest yeah. challenge for me was sometimes is, if we want to tell the story of this is an uncharted place, but you know that there are camera people there, then it's not that uncharted, right? Yeah. But that's a conversation that we had previously. Now, obviously, you have to hire amazing photo director of photography and camera people, and we had that, so which was perfect. And like we had a great drone operator and a great underwater camera and all that stuff. And that helps to get with that framing. But at the same time, the people that actually save at the end of the day save everything. It's the editors because they have to choose those things that are perfectly framed or nice framed or something like that. And if you see the raw footage, you're going to see a lot of mistakes, but that's okay. Because mm -hmm. you know that you have an, edit, an editing team that it's going to help you later on. And you just have to give them the basics, the whites, the mediums, the close-ups, and the conversations. And utilize the moments where you know that you're standing still to have beautiful frame. Because that you have a control over, right? But if somebody's jumping out of an helicopter, you have no idea, right? So that's yeah. a that's a thing. It's like trick, tricking your mind to think that everything is perfect, because the moment that I know it can be perfect, I am. That's interesting. The, uh, I I wouldn't have thought there's like multiple cameras going on. I, you know, like one, two, and three it, or or more. Um, yeah. Does so scenes take a? I imagine a, a little bit of time. I, whenever I'm watching something, I just think like, like maybe like. You know, you do it like a couple times before they say it right, but it sounds like there's probably a lot more that goes into it than just like them saying it right because you have all those different elements going on at the same time. That sounds really difficult. It, it's 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 funny because the 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 things that it took us the longest always were the intro pieces, right? Where it's very super easy to shoot, but those ones we wanted to have perfect. So we wanted to have nice movement and drones and uh, and the host say the things in the perfect way in the perfect like in the perfect framing with the right light. But because we established that from the beginning, then when you go into the craziness, the craziness it's like a baseball game or a football game where there's no replay. Once we go into the action, 
And for the viewers that haven't seen Uncharted Adventure, it's basically a travel adventure show. And you are doing wide rear rafting and jumping out of airplanes and, and walking and hiking through the mountains. When we go into those crazy things, and I always told this to, the, to everybody in the team, it's like a sports game. Like there's no retakes. Don't ask to do it again. I don't care if like the light wasn't perfect. I don't care about the framing. We'll fix that later. Let's not cut the flow of conversations, especially with other people that are maybe not as used to be on television. Because once you begin to cut and cut and cut, like you get the flow out. Hmm. And one thing that actually we used to do a lot, and the editors probably hate me for this, it's sometimes I ask everybody to start rolling without the people on camera knowing that we were rolling. And that's why, because we wanted to create that sense of confidence in them of having like a normal conversation conversation like you and me are having right now mm -hmm. and then i begin to roll the cameras in silence and they didn't even notice that the cameras are rolling and then suddenly like we go into the conversation and they forget that we're filming of course that makes like having like four minutes of like footage that it's unusable but i think it was worth it because then the 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 guards are lower like the people are more comfortable they're nicer that they understand everything happened like that that happens to us once i think it was greece and this lady she was like 19 and she was talking about horses and they were just like chatting and i love the conversation that they were having and she wasn't even going to be in the, the shot and i'm like i told the camera one by one like you go then you go then you go and then when we caught, she turns around to me. It's like, oh, you're tricky. You take all these cameras. And I didn't even notice until like halfway through. And like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Do you, do you feel it um, when, when, on the, when, when you're in the editing process, can you tell when someone has been tricked that way versus someone, you know, just trying to do their best job? Does it, does it come across as feeling more authentic? Does that make sense? It's like. Is there like a qualitative difference in terms of how, how you view it when you get the two different ways of doing it? Depending on the person, yes. Yeah. So depending on the person, like because a lot of people are used to being on television and that's fine. And like people that have like that natural ability to speak on television, like they yeah. don't need that. They don't need to be tricked. You can just like start and like it's, it's a flip. It's like a switch that flips in their minds and they're just like camera ready. Or people need a little bit more help. And you just do it when you feel that it's necessary. Yeah. I think w one thing that might like mollify the editors is you could say that it's good B-roll. Like you could have like potentially B-roll or something like, you know, it's still usable somewhere in there. But it, it sounds like, um, I don't know if, if you're familiar with Dirty Jobs by uh, Mike Rowe, but he had this uh, similar thought where he just would go out and he would never do a, 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 like when stuff was happening, like in your sports analogy, there wouldn't be a second take. It would just like be the raw thing of what was happening. Yeah. And that, that's that's a really fun documentary like his like uh when he went around america and did stuff like that because i think i think people can tell i think like yeah. ultimately like the, a person can tell if like something's been done a couple of times versus something that's just like happening because it i don't know how we can tell but it, it feels like we can you know you can kind of like feel the difference as like a, a it's, viewer it's a different emotion and a different vibe and you can feel it. so one of the interesting things is like i was talking to mike the host of uncharted adventures and he, he was telling me that he saw uh an interview with the producer of anthony bourdain and in the, in the interview, they had a personal rule of never repeating anything because it loses authenticity. Now, 
We've tried to do that for the most part in interviews. Obviously, there's other things that we could do repeats because it's, Mike is professional enough and like he's good enough where he can do the same take three times or four times with the same energy. And like you wouldn't notice, actually, it will get better because mm. in one of the tricks that he uses, I think, is changing a little bit of the wording so it's not exactly the same. In that way, you kind of like trick your mind of being in that same concentration level and an energy level. That's interesting. And then, um, do it's a, how many people go through go through with you to other projects? Like, I imagine if I were you, I would try and keep the editors with me, the ones that are like really really good that understand your 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 taste and style. Because uh, I was watching a, a Mr. Beast episode a documentary, not a documentary, an interview with uh, Lex Friedman. And he said that when he was first, when he first trains people up, he just has them follow him around and he'll literally say all of his thoughts. So they get on the same page, what his vision is. And then he just, they keep around and he just lets them run with stuff. But I've also heard that each project is new in a lot of ways and there's not a lot of carryover. So then it's like, how much are you able to carry over versus like every time it's kind of like a new thing? It depends on the project. Like, hmm. it's not the same when I'm doing scripted. I did a lot of scripted for Nickelodeon and I have done a lot of like short films and films and I have done documentary style. This team that I, that I worked on, the, especially in Europe, was completely new. I didn't know anybody. And part of that thing is like talking and repeating and repeating and talking about the same things over and over again. So we are all in the same page. One of the jobs of the director is to make sure that we're all making the same TV show, right? Because when I give you an idea, I can give you a script and I can give you actors and I can give you cameras and you give it to 10 different people and they're going to have different versions of the final product. The, the role of the director is make sure that everybody's doing the same show. And the only way to achieve that is repeating everything over and over and over again and talking and talking and talking until you get it. Now, the good thing is like after two or three episodes, you get into that rhythm and we did 14, right? But we had three different teams. We had a team in the US, a team in Europe and a team in Latin America. So every time we had to change and like go through the process again, which is difficult, but at the same time, you want that local culture and in Europe, you want your uh, European team that understand the culture and that it's going to help you tell that story that you want to tell, that they're going to tell it better than you because, like, I don't live in Europe, right? I live here in America. Mm -hmm. With Latin America, it was a little bit easier because I was born in Venezuela. But still, you want that group of people that are from Mexico or from Costa Rica or from Peru that are going to give you the, those that the essence of the places that you're going that you're not going to find in any books or in Google or anything like that. Yeah, I think um, as someone who has a show that's really about, you know, about learning, it's it's really hard to know what you don't know when you're not a local. You can spend you could spend all day. You, you could do all the research you can. But you won't learn as much as just walking down the street and asking someone a question who is just, you know, having a drink with their friends. You'll, you'll learn more in that 10 second two minute, however long before they start throwing beer bottles at you to go away <laughs> the conversation that you would on the internet, which is, it's like, a, it's like, a, you know, kind of sad in the sense like you can't get the information, but also really cool that even with the access to all this information on the internet, you you get something by just going up and talking to people. Like there's still something like qual, qual, qualifiably great about just going somewhere. And at the same time, you get to hire local and have all those benefits at the same time. Is there, um, is there a place 
on the planet that's on like your wish list for for filming like like a i know like antarctica there's like extremes that you have to to do to make sure that you can even do that like from the cameras to keep them warm and stuff like that but is there is there do you have like extreme like bucket list type stuff like that where you're like i'm going to challenge myself to do this spot or that spot or it all depends on the the story and and that type of thing no to, to be honest for me i'm more of a visual person than uh mm. I'm, I'm more of a visual person i prefer like when we were putting the list of countries that we were going i was trying to go for visuals and what are the most astonishing places that we can go and more diverse and make sure that we have diversity of like look and feel of each episode and even inside the one country try to get like in peru you go to cusco and you have to the desert and you go to the water and it's like three different like regions completely in just one country or like uh, in switzerland like we did so many different things that looks so so much like you have a diversion in the vision mm-hmm. so for me it's not that much of the unchartedness i guess it's not so much about that. It, for me, it was more about the visuals. Now, obviously, we went to places that usually most people don't go. We went to Alaska, but we went to a glacier. That was, like, incredible, right? Or we went to Mexico, and we went into a cave that was, like, five hours away from Cancun and, like, one hour deep into the jungle. And usually, nobody gets there. And that has mm-hmm. its beauty. But at the same time... <coughs> I also realized, and we also realized that part of the show is to inspire people to travel. So we wanted to to show you places where maybe you are not thinking about it, but if you want to go, you could. So we have that, I think we have a good mix of those two things of like, there's some things that you're probably never going to be able to get there, but there's like about 60, 70% of things that if you wanted to today, tomorrow, to get in an airplane, go there and do all the activities that we did, you could. There's a an interesting story. I don't know if that where answers your question, but it does. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm gonna follow up on it too. Okay. The, uh, it made sense. I understood exactly what, what you're saying. The, um, the there's a, a story of a person who was they're like explorers or something, and I think it's Peru, the one with the the golden city that's on the top of a mountain. Uh, it's not. Uh, I forget the name. It's like supposed to be like a. Anyways, you'll probably remember it in me saying the story. So there was an explorer and they happened to bump into a, a, a person in a village and they were like, oh, hey, by the way, do you know where there's any ruins nearby? And they're like, oh, you mean like the ones on the top of the mountain? And they went up there and they discovered like the, the big, there's a big city somewhere in South America. It's a really obvious one. Everyone listening is going to be making fun of me. It's not Cusco. It's not Chichen Itza. Yes, thank you so much for saving me. Yeah, and so that leads to my question of if you're a visual person and a part of it is like imagining the different locations in terms of how you uh, craft a story or like even explore a story. Um, it, do you have like I imagine like it's almost like you, if you could get people from different cities to send you pictures of different spots so you can like start imagining going to those different spots because like like the story of the person just asking, Hey, do you know where some ruins are? It's like, Oh, there's a giant, giant thing on the top of this mountain that, that, you, you know, just walk up the steps and you'd be there. Um, it, cause it goes down to that. Like, how do you discover what you don't know is there? So then how do you discover, it goes to the question, how do you discover the, 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 just the, the visual to even imagine to go to these places? So we had a great team of people doing that research hmm. and in each country, especially in Latin America, we had what we call fixers. 
which are local people that know. So okay. you, you have conversations with them and you tell them. And Peru was one of those challenges. Like, hey, let's do Machu Picchu. That's the oldest, right? Let's go to Machu Picchu. And we we're like, wait. If you turn on Netflix right now, there's probably 10,000 documentaries about Machu Picchu. What? Let's go somewhere else. Take me somewhere where it's super cool, but not too many people know. And they put a list of like 10, 15, 20 things and they send it to you and you watch it and you look for it and you go online and see what there is. Like you ask them to send you pictures and then you're just like, okay, I want these seven. In each country, we try to do at least seven locations or seven activities. And, but it's, it, all that was part of the pre-production and like making sure that we had a good balance between adrenaline and culture and education and natural beauty. Hmm. And, um, when you so we have the the vision aspect of it gathering that information when you're doing i think it's called previs when um where like some people do like they'll draw a little they'll draw the shots and uh they'll have like a bunch of little cells i'm thinking about for star wars this documentary I watch where they'll, they'll literally yeah sir thank you so much my my brain today the um when you have the visuals and you have the locations when you have the seven activities and that type of thing do you do a storyboard or something like that to map through kind of how you want to do it or it's really once you're there you can kind of start imagining how you set up the different things so no we didn't have storyboards for this the most difficult thing for us was that we didn't have even time to go to the places in advance oh, wow. so for the most part the process was something like this hey we're going to go to a river in switzerland like and do white rear rafting perfect and you ask a bunch of questions and then a week later as you get closer to the date you begin to ask the same questions and you begin to realize that they're giving you different answers and you're like, okay, so what are we going to do? So we prepare mostly for all the scenarios. And then we have a vision of like, if we're going to go while we're rafting, we know that we're not going to be able to put the cameras in the boat. So we need GoPros and we need GoPros in the boat and we need GoPros in the helmets. And then the question comes, can a car drive side by side and they say, yes, it's like, okay, so you can have a camera there and the drone there and they can follow you. And you have these plans, but until you get to the location and until you don't see anything, it's usually like everything changes once again, once you get there. And at that point, you begin to set up everything and you try to cover yourself in the way that you cover the most amount of, of the action with the minimum amount of people. So that was that. That was like, so we didn't have storyboards, but we always have a plan of, okay, this is where we're going. And sometimes like, in, in all honesty, sometimes we got there and everybody's like, hey, you know what? what? What happened if instead of putting the camera here, like we put it over there and like people from the crew will come and tell you these things or the host or anybody and you make it happen. And if it makes sense, you do it. And if not, you just keep going. But time, time was the most difficult thing because mm -hmm. we never had. You never have time. You always want to. Yeah, I'm, yeah I imagine it's also a, a bit of anxiety, too, because you could show up and maybe like a monsoon, like not a monsoon, they don't have monsoons, but like a rainstorm could have come through and just like it's not even possible. Do you, um, is it like set? Like, could you, do you have like default secondary things to do or do you just have to like wait it out or just not shoot at all? If it's like the location itself is looking completely like not an option. We had like, for example, in Wales, we were going to do the same, a little bit something like we did with Chef Taco in Alaska. We were going mm -hmm. to do it in Wales with a chef, an outdoor chef. 
So we were going to go into the forest and like grab stuff from the forest and cook based on that. And two days before the shoot, he got COVID. So at that point, it's like, okay. And we began to move all the activities and started to looking for other activities that we could do. So part of the team, like part of the, the, the job was that, right? Like when something falls through, okay, how can we replace it with a different activity? Good thing is like that didn't happen much, but it does happen. Yeah. It's like yeah. in Switzerland, we were going to jump and do wingsuit, which we did. But we didn't know until we got into the chopper if it was going to fly like 10,000 or 20,000 or like how, how much height they were going to give us. And depending on the height, we were going to have to do one or two or three jumps in order to get all the footage that we needed. At the end, and that was like, 30, like two minutes before we went into the helicopter, they told us like, they give you the, the permission to go all the way up. So you just have to do it once. It's like, perfect. Hmm. That's interesting. The, um, of the different uh, styles, I just like take a pop back to look at more of a meta question. Um, documentary in the field, like Nickelodeon TV show, shorts like you 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 you've done it a, a bit of all everything i don't know if there's a a medium that you have haven't done but um do you have a preferred medium do you have a preferred uh like short documentary like is there one that uh speaks to you more than the others i love scripted films films or tv series that are scripted but like limited series like like high-end super produced super over budget you know like those are the, the nicest things. Like, those are the ones that I like the most. But you find joy in all of them. And, but yeah, films. I will say that if I have to, like, if I could choose my projects all the time, it would be probably film, scripted, in settings where the actors are the main attraction. I'm not into, like, I love watching action films, but those are not, the, I'm not good at that. Like, I like enjoying it. Like, it's, for example, Game of Thrones. It's one of my favorite series. I would have hated being in that set. I, I enjoy watching it. Hmm. So Game of Thrones doesn't uh, fall into the classifi classification of scripted? It is. It is scripted, but it's a type of scripted, right? Because you have comedy, oh, okay, you, okay, okay. you have science fiction. Okay, but so there's so much, okay. yeah. But, like... Just to wrap my, my head around like a, a battle scene that the, the, the way they had, yeah, it would okay. be impossible for me. For me, it's like, you know what? No, give me the scene where like the, 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 the judge, like they were judging somebody or like they were like having great conversations between the actors. Mm -hmm. Like those are the, the my preferred. Okay. Then, so, so like the episode where they're all sitting in the crypts talking about like they're like they're all drinking and then I think, uh, Someone sings in the eighth yeah. eighth season. I don't know if you remember that episode where yeah. like the White Walkers finally came to Winterfell. That uh -huh. last season made me sad inside. I wish they would have taken the two seasons to, to, to finish it up. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but for people who don't know, Game of Thrones could have had an extra couple seasons. But are, are you um are you liking House of the Dragon, the the new one? I haven't seen it because it came out when I was in the trip, hmm. and I just yeah. moved back and I'm waiting for my couch to be here. And have like my nice setting with my nice TV and my like good surround system and watch it and enjoy it. But I'm dying to see it. it, it it's good. I <laughs> I'd say it's as good as Game of Thrones was good. Like at the the best of Game of Thrones is it, it seems like it's pretty good. The first episode's pretty it's it's pretty traumatic. I'll say I'm not gonna spoil anything because that's rude. But it's like 
there's some scenes where I just like was like, all right, well, I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> then I came back to finish them uh, just because, I don't know, I don't want to say. You'll you'll see it. But I'm, I'm, yeah. it, it's good. It's definitely a, a fun ride. The, the interesting, something that I thought was, <laughs> I don't know how often this happens, but the guy who did Game of Thrones was originally supposed to do Rings of Power, but then like Rings of Power, like he got kicked out. Then he did Game of Thrones, uh, House of Dragon, and it ended up being really good. How often do, um, how often does that happen even for the directors and the people leading the initiative where you get like, like hot seated out of, of one role and then you have to like kind of go somewhere else if that makes sense because I, I think yeah. i was reading that that happened at the ring he went from ring of power they like kicked him out for some reason and then he did house dragon he did like great house dragon for, for my opinion you'll, you'll see soon depends on the project like i've been in projects like for example like i was in a project that a friend of mine did the pilot hmm. and three years later that person wasn't in the company anymore and i took over and at the same time, like I have done shows where I did season one, but then season two, they took it to a different country. And it's like now somebody else has to do it, right? Okay. So it happens. I don't know exactly the situation that you say. It's like sometimes it happens because something changes. There's a lot of politics and a lot of like behind the scene things that nobody knows. Could be agents, could be like, oh, the writer wants to work with this director or the showrunner, or maybe they change showrunners and he changes somebody else. And because it's like what you're saying, like you want to bring the people that you know, that you trust. And the question at the end of the day is that it's who is the person that it's leading the effort and that person is going to be the director and the director is going to bring his DP and his DP is going to bring his gaffers and, and, and it goes like that. Hmm. The same way I do some projects where like I work with a DP and he brings other people and then like that, like the gaffer or stuff like that, or the camera person approach me. It's like, hey, let's do something together. I enjoy working with you. Let's go and do something like a short or something. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then you go with that person and do a short film or something. And if you get, if you bond, then you keep doing stuff. And like now you have more people to work with. There's a, there, uh, there's a great book by Walter. It was written by Walter Isaacson and it's by Franklin. And the really interesting thing about Franklin is that at the end of his life, he's basically the reason that France came in to help out with the independence movement with America. But when he was a kid, even up to like 24, 26, he was constantly getting messed up because he didn't know how to, he, he wasn't like really understanding what people looked for and stuff. Like his brother, he was like a secret writer for something. Then he told his brother and he thought his brother would like it. But then his brother was like, you humiliated me and kind of like beat him with a stick. <laughs> but then there were times where like, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a different time, but the, then there was a time where like someone was like, hey, I'm going to sponsor you to open up your own print shop, go to England to get the, the experience and some of the materials and come back. But the guy just liked feeling big and making a statement like that. But he, uh, Ben Franklin, ended up being stuck over there. And then when he was stuck over there, he joined a print shop, but he wouldn't, he drank water versus beer because at the time, like most people just drank uh, beer because he wouldn't get dysentery and stuff like that. And so uh, people, he got, people were starting to like sabotage his work. Mm -hmm because um, he wasn't pitching into the beer fund and drinking like everyone else. And so when he started giving into the beer fund, people were nice to him and then he could you know, make money and then go back home. So there were several moments in his life where he was just misreading people, not understanding people. But by the end of his life with these experiences, he slowly started like, if you read the book, like he, start, he slowly starts like applying a different way of doing things to uh, uh, become the person he would become. And it does sound like that's a superpower of yours of just knowing what an actor wants, knowing, you know, keeping an eye on like all these different variables. And so I, I wonder what do you, do you, do you have a, like, do you remember those moments that like helped shape? Cause it does seem like that you have a superpower in understanding and speaking to people. 
<laughs> I think you acquire that with time, right? Or mm. with experience as well of understand. And, and also it's the motivations that you have. I have seen there's, there's a few types of directors, like some of them have the, their goals is like to become a famous kick-ass director and they want to, they, they have their vision and they want to do it exactly how they want it. That's it. And so people enjoy that. I don't. I am more like, I prefer, I want to, to work in a collaborative environment with the actors, with the DP, because I think like best, like things are going to happen. You're going to bring better, like the best out of everybody. And they're going to make you look better if you let them shine, right? Yeah. So, but that's something that I apply just because that's the way I like to work. And sometimes you find people that are not like that and it's hard there. And you have to mark your territory a little bit, but it, it has to because always like they will like take yeah. over and it's your job, right? At the end of the day, you're responsible for everything when you're the director. And, but I do like, I don't know if I have the superpower, like so refined that I can know always like what everybody wants to but like thinking what they want. But again, it goes to what we were speaking at the beginning. It's conversation and setting up expectations from the beginning. The biggest troubles I always had was when you get into a project and you don't have those conversations and you assume that people want something. And then when you get there, like everybody has different agendas. Yeah. And when you can unify the agendas of everybody, that's when everything works well. In a corporate setting, that's difficult. Yeah. I think that's a that's another one of those uh, traits. As I think in our our pre conversation, you said like, "Oh, I talked to so many different people," and you'd be surprised how often like the what it like grit is the thing or uh, aligning interests. Like a leader, for the most part, whether it's biotechnology, um, being a scientist, or being a director uh, for, for long time listeners, aligning interests, listening to people, and helping them see like how it all fits together is definitely one of those characteristics that you need to develop to be successful in those in those things. I think sometimes people feel like. It's all on them to like be like this perfect little whatever, but it actually is like people are here. Like we're a like humans are a community animal. We're not like wolves that go around and like meet up every like two minutes, you know, every couple of years. Like we're social animals. So, like that social dynamic is something I think that some some like with the modern world with like internet and stuff. Like people I think have somewhat forgotten like how to do that. So I think it's really cool that like this commonality of um, having the instinct of aligning people is 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 is. Uh, is a universal leadership trait, it seems. And one that it definitely sounds like it, well, it's not like a universal superpower of yours. It definitely is like something that you're really good at. No, yeah. And actually that's something that I learned in Microsoft. I worked there, I worked for Microsoft for almost five years on the Xbox department. And there like, it's for me it was completely new, right? Because it's a technology company and coming from TV industry. And like, I was one of the few people that knew anything about that. But while I was there, somebody once told me, this concept of socializing your ideas hmm. and socializing creatively what you need to do. And I was like, what is that? It's like, well, if you go into a meeting and in the meeting you begin to tell everything that you want to say, most people are going to reject it. But if before the meeting you go and have lunch with the product manager, and tell them about it and ask their feedback and they will tell you like, 
incorporate some feedback into that or why they think it's not going to work and how they think, oh, actually, but it's not going to work this way, but it's going to work that way. And then you go to the art designer and, the, and like all the department heads and have these conversations. One, they feel included. Two, they're giving you all the pitfalls of like how your project is going to fall. And then if you can fix all those things and then present that and you come to a meeting and like, oh, by the way, I just thought about this and begin to say all the things that you spoke with all of them and incorporating all their feedback into your idea, then it will be easier to get traction with your idea and like get it done. Especially in a company like Microsoft that it's so big, like it's like a cruise, right? It's not like a boat, like it's that speedboat that can just go everywhere. It's like a big yeah that it will take him forever to just turn a little bit to the left. Mm-hmm. When you can socialize your ideas and get people involved, it's easier then to make it happen. Now, I began to apply that when I moved back into the TV industry and filmmaking. And obviously it's easier because you don't have so many like competing ideas, I guess, or, or competing like ways to do things that it was easy like that it helped me a lot on, on achieving those goals of okay this is how you get through and how you get people to listen to you and it's just like do it outside and then bring mm-hmm. it in it's interesting the, the i i have a similar uh process i call it uh like it's i consider it like priming where when you talk to them you're letting them know how it's gonna go and one time i was like when i was in college i was kind of experimenting on this and uh, I, I told, I had to give a speech and I told the teacher one, like what the speech was, like I had a conversation with her about what the speech was about. And so she thought the speech was about A, but then I told the rest of the, I, t- I had a conversation with the class and I had them think this conversation was about B. And so then both people were really excited for the conversation. They, they took away A and B so that the teacher was happy that I talked about A. But then the students thought it was funny that I talked about B the whole time but I only ever talked about what, like this is the same information, but you primed, I primed the teacher, you primed the people and these, these things to get that buy-in, but also you kind of like let them know what to expect. Like you, people hate being taken off, <coughs> off guard, like, uh, especially, uh, yeah, especially in a corporate setting, I can imagine just like letting people know what's coming, uh, makes it a little easier. And at the same time, it's like building those relationships that I think are going to carry you through everything. When, um, so, so just like transition to different worlds, um, the, for uh, so Game of Thrones is out for like a scripted adventure type thing. Um, are there worlds currently in development, or <coughs> excuse me, uh, currently in development or not in development that you would want? Like if you had more of a, like you do producing, uh, you do directing. If you could like, if there's something out there that you could like jump in there without hurting anyone's feelings, is is there something out there that you'd want to be a part of? I have right now. I have four scripts that I wrote. Hmm. Uh, two of them I wrote during COVID. Actually, I wrote three during COVID, and I filmed one. And the other two I, I like I wrote either before or after. And I would love to direct those because they're like the type of films that I like. It's three, four, five actors in one house. Everything happens in the same place. Very character driven. Very like you need like really, really good actors to make it happen. So if I could do anything right now, well, I would love to do those. Are these the imperfect and TQM or are these TQM. not? I looked at your IMDb. I don't know if that has yeah. everything. No, TQM, it's actually now on Amazon Prime. You can watch mm. it and it's in Spanish. 
but it's again like it's a it's a film that I because when COVID hit, as soon as COVID, like they closed everything down, I was I begin like I spoke with all my friends and everybody was saying the same thing. Oh, I'm going to take the time to do a pitch. So when COVID opens, like when everything opens up again, I will have 10 pitches ready. And I'm like, by the time everything opens up, they're going to have the pipelines with 10,000 scripts. And yeah. it was going to be so hard to produce anything that it's not from them because they will have time to do those things. And I was like, what's the one thing that nobody's doing? And nobody was producing. And I was like, okay, how can I produce? And it's like, and before it came cool to say the bubble, I began like, okay, what happened if I put everybody in the same house, all the crew, all the cast, like rent two houses and like just shoot there. Hmm. And it, it didn't end up being that way, but it was a little bit like that, where I had five actors who were all living in the same house. The crew were in their places, so they were not in expo exposing anybody else. And we filmed for two weeks and all the prices of all the prices of the studios were super cheap because nobody was renting. And I was able to make this film like in 12 days, 13 people, like the crew were 13 people, five actors in two weeks, we were completely done. And for one reason or another, like, I don't know if it's because low inventory or like, because they like it or whatever it was, when we finished the film and like we had a, a finished product where we approached all the big ones and Amazon loved the film and like they bought it and now it's on Amazon Prime here in the US and in Latin America. Imperfect is the short that I did right before I went to Uncharted Adventures, but that's a short film that we're going to start running into the film festival circuit with the hopes of getting somebody interested in doing a web series. So the idea is to have like 20 episodes of five minutes, eight minutes each. How, how does produce like besides producing, that I have three more scripts that I want to do. <laughs> okay. So there's even more the, have you, um, there's a Kickstarter by Brandon Sanderson where in during COVID he did the same thing where he wrote four books without telling anyone. And he did a Kickstarter, which raised like $40 million. Is that something? Are Kickstarters things that you would think about doing? That's yeah, the largest Kickstarter ever. And he didn't tell anyone about it. He literally he literally just opened it up one day and he got forty million dollars. It's like it's crazy. But um would you use Kickstarter yeah, to like completely it, Kickstarter is tricky. It's like Kickstarter is tricky. It's like everything. It's marketing, right? You could be lucky. Again, there's the one percent of people that get lucky and like they get forty million. Then you have the people that like work really, really hard and they raise whatever amount of money and they found their, their projects. It's hard. It's, it's a lot of work. It's like mm. a lot of grinding and a lot of calling and a lot of explaining and marketing and good marketing. And, and again, like I see the evolution of all these mediums right now and the key for everything it's marketing and how to make things marketable and how, People, because you can give your movie for free if people don't fear, like if people don't realize that it exists, they're not going to see it. And it goes to your point about that's important for a trailer, right? Like if you throw a trailer that it's completely different from the movie, the expectations, like you're creating expectations, people are going to hate it. Mm -hmm. The same thing that you're talking about, like uh, about expectations, is the same thing that happens to me going into a movie. 
if I go into a movie thinking, oh my God, this is going to be the best movie ever, usually it sucks. Mm -hmm. But when you go with the expectations of like, everybody told me that this movie was really bad, usually I'm like, oh, okay, it was fun. And then you have the exceptional cases like Game of Thrones where everybody loved it. And I saw it, like I began to see Game of Thrones when it was already in season four. And I began on season one and episode one and I caught up like in two weeks because I was mesmerized. It was like, it lived up to the hype, but that's so difficult. Mm -hmm. Is um, is it hard to pitch? So like working within the existing structure, what what's the, outside of making it and uh, having it done, uh, what's the hardest part about getting it into the point where people can, can view it? Getting the money is the hardest part. Mm. Like even harder than making the movie. Uh, it, it, it's weird because I think like YouTube and all this uh, venue like Netflix and Amazon and HBO and all these things are great for TV series. And YouTube, it's great for people that are like bringing new ideas that before people didn't even consider them. Filmmaking is the one thing that I still don't know how it's going to end up being after all this transition happens. I think film is the one that it's a, the biggest risk of all. Because right now, because the other two expanded the horizon of people, like YouTube and platforms, like expand, like kind of democratize creativeness. And now if you want, and to give you like a small example, Super Bowl, biggest event of the year, X amount of people see it. But then you compare it to a World Cup, 10 times more people see it. But bigger than that, it's esports. Mm -hmm. Like any esports, like the big, big, like League of Legends or one of those big things will get more viewers than the Super Bowl or the World Cup. But still, there's no network showing that. And you're asking yourself why. And it's because the people making the decisions don't see it. Now, the internet democratized that. And like now they don't need those guys and they can just broadcast over the internet, right? That was great for that area. YouTube was great for all the creators that decided, I'm tired of the news. I'm tired of like extreme right, extreme left. Now I want like common sense people that are going to actually tell me the truth and not being opinionated about things that they don't know. Great. But films, in my perspective, the the way people consume films changed completely from the last 20, 30 years, right? Before you used to go to a movie theater to see any type of movies. Now, most probably I can see any of the big movies in my house in a better setting than a movie theater and without the, house, without the people talking, cell phones, popcorns that cost 20 bucks and coke that are like 10 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. So the only type of movies that are getting into the into the big screens are like action movies. And I think that's the biggest problem we have right now, not because those are not worth watching, it's just because I think the studios are going to lose their ability to learn how to do great filmmaking, great stories that are about human emotions and about like something that is not superheroes and nothing against, I love Marvel movies, but I think the spectrum has to be bigger than just Marvel movies, right? Or just superhero movies. Yeah. And that indie filmmaking 
it's going to like if we don't find a way to make money in a consistent basis without getting sponsorship from the states i don't know what's going to happen with indie filmmaking and i think whoever solves that it's going to win and preserve filmmaking are there if you if you had unlimited money and everyone kind of had to do what your idea was do you have ideas on how you'd solve it to me and this is like the part where like i don't know if you remember that martin scorsese was complaining about marvel movies and that that wasn't cinema and stuff like that and that whole debate began and for me it was like so useless of a conversation and it's like you're married to scorsese if you want to fix this stop complaining about those movies and create funds for indie filmmakers to create movies and then give them a platform right mm -hmm. and maybe do a short film and put it in front of like a big film but begin to sponsor and help filmmakers arising filmmakers with with the scripts that nobody else will give the chance but are worth telling so for me the if i had unlimited resources for me the best way to do it it's kind of like the silicon valley model where you have to create incubators of filmmakers where you bring actors directors producers writers into one place give them the seed money everybody have like a revenue share and if the movie makes great, everybody makes money. Like the system of Silicon Valley stock options, I think it's great, and it doesn't, it, and it hasn't evolved that into the movie movie film industry. I don't know why, but it should. That's how we did with my movie, like the uh, TQM. That's how we did, and when we sold it, we gave a piece to every person in the in the crew. Like they they will have a percentage of all the earnings from now until eternity. I think that's the way, I think that's the model that we should follow. And I think somebody with the resources have to come in and create that fund and like make a split because that way you can create more stuff that it's low risk because it's going to be cheaper because you're not paying the full rates of people. But I can guarantee you there's a lot of people out there that are making money in their normal jobs, but will take a week or two or three at a lower rate in order to do something that they love. But it has to be a story that they love. It cannot be the same three stories that they keep repeating over and over and over in like the same formulas. And that way you will give people a little bit of experimentation, taking risk, telling stories that other people won't take because it doesn't matter if it's a huge success or not because you have 10 and you just need one of them to make it big. And that will replenish the fund for everybody else. That's an interesting idea. Is um, and there's no one doing that currently. Like um, I could see like a like a film festival maybe having like a offshoot where they do something like that because they yeah. I think they make a decent amount of money. They just I don't know what they do with it. I'll then make more film festivals. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, and and I don't know if one of these film festivals do it or not. But like that's a great place, right? Like if you make these collaborations and like you're already in in uh, in like in in under contract with like either Sundance or. Tribeca or Toronto film, like all, one of the big ones where you know that people are going to see it and like they're going to have buyers watching at your film because that's the other thing. The most difficult things for me were finding the money and then selling the picture. Everything in between, I knew how to do it and we made it with the best of our abilities. 
but even selling the picture was like okay how much money do how much money and he asked what like what are the things the clothes that i can put and at the end you realize that whatever they tell you you are going to say yes because there's not 20 people lining up to buy your film like your independent film hmm. so even at that point you are basically at the mercy of, of the companies and i'm grateful that they gave me an opportunity but at the same time if i see other filmmakers that have great films that didn't make it into a platform is like, why not? And yeah. it's probably just because they don't have an agent or they don't have somebody because they have good quality films. It's just like, it's not getting to the right people because they don't have the contacts. Yeah. How do you, how does the actual, like, let's say you're in like a Sundance or something and your film does pretty well and someone sees it. How do you leverage that to actually like, I, I imagine like maybe you have to like, have a contact at different uh, agencies to get it sold or something. It's not like you can like Dropbox a link of like, Hey, here's my thing. I hope you buy it or whatever. How does that actual work? Big festivals like that begins to open doors for you in the sense of like, you're in for a week in a place where all the big players are there, right? You have buyers, you have agents, you have other actors, you have other producers, you have, so it's basically the networking you do during the film. So getting into a film festival, as important as getting into a film festival, is going to a film festival and being part of the festivities and talking to everybody and networking and hopefully find somebody that will make it happen. Sundance is so big that at the moment that you get in, it's like probably going to be easier for you to get an agent just like to listen to you. I'm not saying that he's going to sign you, but at least he's going to get you at the door and say, okay, let me see what else you have. And usually... And this is very important for all the filmmakers is they're going to ask you, okay, what's next? And you better have be prepared with like three more treatments or three more movies or three more, whatever it is that you're ready to pitch in a moment's notice. Hmm. So that like that probably com- comes to why you made, like why you wrote four or so screenplay. So you were always ready if you like bumped into someone then. It's like, yeah, because these, these projects, again, take two or three years to make, but you a lot, a lot of the time you have a lot of downtime. And in that downtime, you have to do something. First, so you don't go crazy, right? But second, because you need that next thing that is going to happen. So right now, I have at least five scripts that are completely done in one web series and three shorts and a lot of things that you can all expand on that. Case in point... Keep forgetting names. Dave Franco and Jason and uh, Seth Rogen, Seth Rogen and Dave Franco and all those guys. By the time they made it, they had at least ten more scripts ready to go. And when they made it with one, they approached them and they had like ten more things ready to go. And they began to do films every year just because of that, because they were ready with something to make, to follow up and follow up and follow up. And even if they were crap, it doesn't matter. They, at that point, you're so hot that everybody wants to get in bed with you. It's a little bit of like, again, to Silicon Valley, like once a Sequoia invests in your, in, in, your, in your company, then everybody else wants to invest, right? And when you get into that position of being able to like, no, I don't want your money. They, they was like, they go even crazier of like, oh my God, how you're not going to let me in. Like, and everybody begins to get fall. <coughs> is the same in the film industry is the same, but not with projects, but with personalities, actors, directors, producers, writers. 
Do you um do you ever see yourself like when you're older, I don't know, like retirement time or whatever, building that type of incubator that you envisioned just now? Because it sounds like something that would have such a, a big impact on places that you love. If I had money now, I would do it today. <laughs> hmm. Like I don't need to be old to start doing it this way. I think that's the way we should be creating more projects. And I don't see this as a like a vanity project that I'm going to do if I make a hundred million dollars. If somebody if, if somebody comes up with the funds. I will totally get into that 100% because one, that's going to help me to make more films, but also I think it's going to create a whole different way in the industry to make and go things. And like, if we don't do something quick about filmmaking, independent filmmaking is going to die. And if that dies, it's going to be harder to get the type of cinema that I like the most. And again, yeah, and I'm he, not, I still enjoy watching sci-fi and action and all that, but the ones that I enjoy the most are like thing pieces that make like movies that make me think and like I come out of the theater like, oh my God, for like three days thinking about what I just saw. Yeah. And we're losing that. Yeah. Also, um, if you, if you lose it, you also lose the next crop, the whole next generation of people. Cause I think I imagine independent filmmaking is how everyone got started. I think, um, most of the directors and, and actors that I've watched their documentaries or them talk about how they got started, it usually is independent film. So if that goes away, then you'd have a whole group of people that would never even find their voice, which is, I don't know what we would be at, at that point. Would it be really sad? But um, You know what's great guess, to that point? Sorry, like I'm going to say one more thing. Is that... No, go ahead. Take, take a movie from 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And look at the small character, like the small characters, like the ones that have one line or two lines. For the most part, are going to be people that are really famous today. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Tom Cruise famous. I'm talking about like the like like the people that are like famous now, but like Breaking Bad, for example. the The main character of Breaking Bad, if you can go back and like see him in a thousand things. Uh, Dr. House, you remember that show? Mm-hmm. I was watching reruns of Friends and he's in one episode. And he's like, has a three lines in the main in the Iron Mask. But those guys that are like super famous now in their old age, that became famous in their old age, they had like a bunch of like little movies and little parts of movies. And that's what fueled them to keep going, right? But because now we're, we don't have so many of those movies where you can get your craft like to that point then it's going to be harder for to create good actors and good directors and good producers and writers because that's where we learn right yeah i think uh another another consideration is the the change in attention spans like you you're having to edit for you know some people have like a tiktok attention span which i, I used to have tiktok but then i i deleted it because i felt my my ability to focus was going away i would just like i would just randomly open up my phone and stare at it it was like wait a minute i have work to do why am i doing this so i had to delete it but um i think that's another one as well like the literally people's attention spans to have um to take the time to enjoy something like some of my most uh, uh favorite films are like what dreams may come i don't know if you've ever seen this but and the and the fountain which are like i think about those all the time and i'm really excited for the whale because people say it's like, it makes you think a lot of things. It makes you feel a lot of things too, which is, I think, a lot of fun. Because uh, I think as I've aged, the thing that I've noticed is that like, 
when I was younger, my my emotions were more volatile, like I felt them more. But as I've gotten older, like the my emotional range on a given day is relatively flat. But with a with a film or with creative endeavors, you can experience you know those ranges again. You can you can like go through different journeys, and I think they like it helps yeah. it helps me. That's why I was like uh, like extremes, like things that like really show the human condition, what's going on, because I think for the average person, we get to the point where like our emotions just kind of like for throughout the day it's like oh we're content with life you know like i don't know maybe I'm, i think maybe i'm a strange person but i think that happens to everyone i think as you age like your emotional extremes kind of like level out i don't know i think you may be a couple years older than me so i don't know if that happened to you as well but i think that's one of the one thing that you get from film is it kind of gives you that uh like activates your mirror neurons and empathy so you can start imagining like other lives and and like not escapism but like like helps you kind of like look at a mirror on yourself as well. So like that's why like like the, there are, there are elements of that happening in Marvel films, but I, I see your point that like their their objective is different <coughs> uh, versus like the like human centered and, and character driven stories. But um, I, I actually now I'm just generally curious. Did, did, did that happen to you too? Like I'm not alone in this, right? Like as you got older, your emotions like more. It's not like they're flatlined, but it's like they don't they don't like range too much. I have to think about it. Probably yes. Like I think with experience, like you begin to see that not everything is going to be a life or death situation, and that makes it. It's like okay, if something didn't go well today, probably it's going to get fixed tomorrow, and maybe yeah. that's why you get that. But I do agree with you that, and that was one of the things about filmmaking and going into a movie theater, is because when you go into a movie theater, you go there, it's completely dark. And for two hours, you are 100% focused on the film, on the screen. You're not watching on your phone. So when you're in your house, you're going to get phone calls. You're going to, even if you don't get it, like you're going to get distracted. I lose my phone now. Now, I throw saying it away. that, like that, the, the one thing that I keep thinking is who is going to be the first person that is going to make a movie with the style of editing of TikTok? Yeah. That'd be like, because like the web. The web com, uh, the web thing you were just talking about, the that are like, uh, I think you were saying they're like five to ten minutes long that, that you want to do, like the web serial. They would just yeah. be like sixty seconds long. So like twenty sixty second, you can tell a lot. You can tell a lot yeah. in sixty seconds. That's 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 like that's real. That's real hard to do. <laughs> it's hard. Be, but now imagine telling a whole movie in sixty second scenes. It's like imagine making a whole movie of an, like basically you're doing one hundred and twenty. TikToks that are all related, but it has to be like only 60 seconds and really quick and really fast. I don't know. I'm sure that somebody at some point is going to come up with that idea and make it happen. And whoever does it first is going to make millions. Yeah. Is there, um, so your favorite way to experience cinema is in the movie theater? Not today. <laughs> I think, but usually, not today? But it used to be. No. Oh, okay. I think my, my favorite is the, I know this is like, yeah, I don't get to do it often. I get it like maybe once every five years, but the drive-in movie theater where you can, you can drive in, you get that huge yeah. thing, you get the stars above you and you don't really hear other people, but if, if it's, it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you have done those before, but that's, a, that's probably my favorite way to experience a movie. Yeah. Even though it's like kind of weird. No, it's super nice. It's, I, I like that. I, I have seen that. I also have seen movies outdoors, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. I really like going to a movie theater, but I used to love it. But 
I don't love it anymore. First, because they don't have the kind of movies that I like. But even if they do, they have made the experience, the beginning to end experience, so complicated and so difficult and so expensive that it takes that away from you. And like getting going the ticket, and parking, and like ticket, okay. like you have to be in line for like twenty minutes, and then to the concession stand, right? And they have like only five things, and they cost twenty bucks each, and you have to wait for ten minutes until you get there, and like you get. And then you get to a movie theater and everybody's on their cell phones and ringing and people standing up and screaming and you are like... That's horrible. The only place, and I don't live in LA anymore, but the only place where I enjoy watching films is in LA because for the most part, people have the respect for the movie. And you can go to like the Chinese theater or like the Arclight and stuff like that. And like people are going to respect the movie experience. And it's just different. Yeah. Well, I think uh, some, some, advi- some advice or maybe something for you to try is uh, come out to Midwest and then uh, go out into like a 10,000 10, person town and then go to the movie theaters. I, I, I do like I will uh, I will do this. I'm not doxing myself. I'm, I will do this. And I, I walk in. People don't even check your ticket. I, I, like I, it's like the honor code. People don't even look at you. You just walk in. The lines don't really exist. You go straight in there. No one really text. Like they'll text before the, the thing, but as soon as it comes on, it goes away. And when it comes to the concession stands, I have a really poofy coat, so I just I bring what I want. <laughs> so I come in so and people, I sit in the. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. There's like so like maybe the twenty people like in there. Respect the movie theater, like the movie yeah. experience. <laughs> I mean, so, sometimes it's hit and miss, but like nine times out of ten, it's nice. Nice. Like, well, okay. I, I think in the last like fifteen years, in a, and it was a movie theater in Iowa. And it was a fine experience, but people were doing obnoxious things. Like they weren't distracting me, but they were distracting other people with their act. They were doing inappropriate things in the movie theater and they were distracting other people. And I saw them reacting to what was happening. And it was, it was distracting me and my wife from what was happening. But like the movie itself was fine. They were quiet enough, but it was just like people like whispering about it. That was like, can we just watch the movie? But that was like the last time I had a negative experience in the movie theater. And that was like 15 years ago. That's a, I, good, I, that's a good ratio. Yeah, I don't. Ha- I, I don't have that luck. Yeah, you should come out to the I Midwest. Stop, Midwest. I, I just stop. I just stop going to the movies here in, in in Miami because of that. It's like first, like they don't have the type of movies that I like anymore. Like I yeah. could, like I would only go to a big action sequence movie because that experience. But but you know what's the the, the ones that I miss the most? Comedy, <laughs> because going into a comedy and like. Laughing with everybody laughing in the with movie everyone. theater, yeah. it, it adds to the experience. Like a drama I can watch in my house and it's not going to affect my experience because usually you don't see people crying or yeah. people getting emotional, but you can hear the laugh, right? And having yeah. those moments and like having a comedy or like, or like having a good laugh with like a hundred more people, it's really nice. So I miss that. I miss going to a good movie with good comment, which if you think about it, I don't even remember when was like the last big movie that was a pure comedy that went straight to the movie theater. I don't, yeah, know, I I think, don't know any. Like, yeah, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, uh, Deadpool, and it's not a it's not a straight comedy. There just happens to be comedy in there. Yeah, but that's a good movie to go to the movie theater. Yeah, the, you get the action it, and you get the laugh. Yeah, people were. <laughs> I like the different way people laugh too. Like when people are just enjoying themselves and they don't think about other people. Like they like yeah. there's like the 
there's people like kind of snort like pigs and there's people that like kind of giggle like chickens. I mean, it's just like, it's a, like you get a little bit of everything. It's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, if I, if you want, if, if the next time there's a comedy that comes out, you can, you can come out. I'll tell you where the, the, the theater is and you can fly out. And it's actually in a nice town too. You probably enjoy it. And your whole family can come and see a, a good movie. I'll tell you where it is. But I don't even know when, like, when was the last comedy that came? Like, try to yeah. talk about a comedy. Like, I, the last thing, I think the last comedy I saw, I don't even know when was the last good comedy that I saw in a theater. Yeah, I can't think of anything. Everything's, I've been watching, like, the last, like, several have been Avatar, uh, Star Wars. I haven't seen The Whale. I don't think if it's in theater near me, which I, which makes me sad inside. Um, we're going to see Puss in Boots. I don't know if that's a comedy. People say it's really sad. There's like a oh, new wow. Puss in Boots thing. Yeah, they say it's okay. sad or something. And that has me excited because I like extreme emotions being portrayed. But, but um, you remember yeah, like I I Wedding imagine. Crashers, you know, like something like that. That was like yeah, laughing. Eddie Murphy movies. Every, yeah. every three minutes you're laughing with a hundred people. And that creates that energy in the movie theater that you laugh now about everything. And I don't remember the last time that I have seen a movie like that in years i think it was pre-2010 when i was in high school i graduated in 2010 20 yeah i graduated in 2010 and so i think that was like the high school range was the last time i ever saw something like that yeah which is a long time it's ago that's 20 years but it's yeah. crazy 20 years without a good comedy yeah there's a lot of good comedies on tv but like i haven't seen it in movie theater, which is a shame. yeah anyone Let's listening in, if you're, yeah anyone listening who's working on something let us know Maybe we can like help something get along. So the last question I have uh, before we run over time, because I don't want to like eat up your day, is what advice, uh, two questions, uh, what advice, and then the second one is basically books and, and movies, but what advice do you have for people who are getting started, either whether it be an actor, a director, or maybe most applicable to what our conversation has been today, but what advice would you have for them, for people who want to like get going? Be patient. Do as many workshops, classes, as many as you can read as many books, take the master classes. There's like master class, the master class website that it's like oh, I love bucks that. or 200 bucks a month, a year or something like that, which is not bad. And they no. have so many acting directors writing and don't only learn about your craft. Like let's say you want to be a writer. Don't just learn about writing, learn about acting, about directing, about producing, about everything, because that's going to help you create stuff that it's doable. The other thing is, today, there's no excuses. You can do a movie from beginning to end with, the, with your cell phone and, and, and like Premiere, right? Like you can edit it like mm -hmm. that. You can do color correction. You can have like very nice audio. You can get a library of music that it's basically $100 a year. Again, like there's a lot of websites that you can download unlimited music for your film and for your stuff. Then you can put it on YouTube and you can use Instagram to market it, right? So you have all the essentials to make stuff. Just go ahead and do it. And when you start, simple. Start simple. Because most people try to do like 20 minutes, 20 actors, and that's not going to be any good. Just keep it simple. Two people in a room. One conversation, two people in a bed or having coffee or the simplest ideas are the ones that are going to help you the most to evolve and to, to get better because you will really know where you're failing 
Because when you have 20,000 things to do, and like when you do something too big, you're going to make a million mistakes, but you're going to say, oh, well, I didn't have time. Or people are going to get lost in the conversation of like, oh my God, but look at everything that you achieved. But did you actually learn something? Mm -hmm. If you have two actors and one camera and it's just conversation, there's no escaping, right? Every mistake that you make, you're going to know that was a mistake, but that will let you, will help you improve it for the next one. And just keep pushing and keep doing and keep networking and keep talking to people because with the few exception of the 1% that get lucky, nobody's going to come and tell you, it's like, hey, come and direct my $10 million movie. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to let you be the actor. Like, even if you're a great actor, if you're a great actor doesn't, that, that, doesn't, that people don't know, you're not marketable. So people are not going to get you in their movies unless it's in a secondary or third, tertiary role. And even at that point, the system is so difficult to break in that if you get the main actor, then that agent is going to want to have their second actor to be somebody from their agency in exchange of having that actor in your movie. Hmm. So if you're not in that realm of like being in an agency with an agent yet, forget about like getting into any of the big breaks. You might have a lucky shot. Yes, it happens. But for the most part, you have to open... You have to understand that you're in a business and your job is to sell tickets. So it's not only enough to be good, you have to be good and you also need to work in your social profile. People need to know who you are. You have to work on that. I know it's annoying, but you know what? At least now you have an option. Before you couldn't do it. You couldn't get famous like 50, 30 years ago. You couldn't get famous by your, on your own. Now you can now you can create Instagram accounts or YouTube shorts or, or TikToks or something and build your audience. And that audience hopefully will follow you to do other stuff. And remember that when you do those shows, you have to push those shows because that's one of the reasons they got you. It's not just because you're a nice, pretty face and know how to act or direct or produce. You have to push for your stuff. Mm -hmm. And then um, last question is, uh, you can control everyone listening. You have to listen to don't, 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 don't escape this. You control the weekend, you know, like, like one movie or one TV series a night for, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what, what do you want us to be watching or watching or listening to if there's an audio drama, but yeah, what, what would you, what would you have our, us listen to or watch? So a movie me or a series? Yeah. So basically you control our Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like the upcoming weekend for anyone listening in. And they will watch what it, they will watch. They will, oh, they will be entertained by what. Go watch your movies. Okay. <laughs> the, no, I watch uh, movie, no. <laughs> but if it's something that it's not self, self, self helping, I'm trying to think something good. You get like, you get like I'm three blocks, I guess. The, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think like, what was the last thing? It's like, this is, and I'm not trying to get away with it. It's like in the last six months, I haven't seen anything. Hmm. They can be older. I, the last few movies that I saw was all in airplanes. I saw Enola 2, which is like the Sherlock Holmes, the sister of Sherlock Holmes, which was really nice. Yeah, and the reason good. that I will tell people to watch this movie, it's because it has a beautiful message at the end, like throughout the whole thing. It has a message, right? And the biggest message for me from that movie, which is the biggest thing that people have to listen now, 
Because right now, like activism, it's like posting on Facebook. And I will say no, activism is go and get yourself and put yourself on the line. And that movie has a very nice message about that. So I will tell people, like, especially if you have young kids at home watching Ola Tu, just to teach them the value of fighting for your things and not just posting about it on Instagram. I saw The Grey, and the only reason, like, it's okay, it's an okay movie, but the drone shots of that movie are so amazing. They have drone shots everywhere, and like FPVs, kind of drone shots, where like it's part of the sequence that you must watch that. And the other one that I enjoyed a lot was The Offer, which is on Showtime right now. And it's about how The Godfather was made. Crazy story. And it's about apparently based on truth, like it's based on reality. So, and I, I don't have a reason to doubt it, right? Like it felt very real. Mm-hmm. And everything that I saw there, I can see that how it could happen in real life. But you have all that added mafia, like what was happening with the mafia behind the movie. Crazy story. Crazy, crazy story. So those are the three that one on your own, one for just like drone shots and one with your family. Those are my three advices. Thank you for joining us today with the Learn With Lowell show. Check us out at learnwithlowell.com. Anywhere podcasts can be found. Subscribe. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Check us out on YouTube in particular. It's a new thing I'm doing. Uh, timestamps and links are in the show notes. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone, every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about. And you'll go out and be curious and learn something new. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.